Today on Happy Sack Confused, Nick Offerman gets a chance to be the leading man for once in Hearts Beat Loud. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome back, Sammy. Thank you. It's been few and far between lately to have you on the intro. It's, You're a busy lady. It, it's been really hard listening to just you. <laughs> <laughs> I think you speak for all Happy for Second Views listeners when you, know you say I that. I had so much to say about Mandy Moore, too. I was like, how did I miss the Mandy Moore intro? You were missed on the Mandy Moore saga. I felt that. Um, but... But I'm back. I pressed on, and I knew you'd come back around. Thank God. And here she is. Uh, Just so everyone knows, Josh has some new snacks here. Oh, yeah. What do I got over Um, there? You've got a bag of organic bunny fruit snacks that looks like there's about six gummies in there. So what's that from? Okay. So all those snacks, by the way, I think were brought in by Team Mandy Moore. I think Mandy was a little starving, and they brought those over to her. Uh, And she... Oh, my God. We've got... Nutter Butter. Two Cliff Bars. We've got Nutter Butter Bites and Planner's Nutrition Why are you screaming at all of us about the snacks? Because I just noticed it said Nutrition and I got very excited. You're a little too aggressive about the snacks today with all all due respect. I know. I came in very hungry. But then I saw your craft service. Well, I'm I'm trying. Look, I have have booze available now. I've got food available. I try to make this a hospitable place for guests. If you can rummage through the literal trash... It is kind of like a trash heap over there. Wait, Mm -hmm. Sam, we have more important things to talk about. There's actually a lot going on. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just got back from Los Angeles for uh, two big events. Um, One, uh, we hosted, MTV hosted, I hosted the red carpet for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. That was a lot of fun. You can watch that entire red carpet show. It's still available, of course, as everything is in 2018. It Mm -hmm. never goes away on the Facebooks and the Twitters and all that. But I, I think the best place to find it is probably on MTV's Facebook page. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Talked to Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard and Goldblum. Uh, and that movie comes out this Friday, I believe. It's going to make all the money in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, MTV Movie and TV Awards. You of were, course. We, I, 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 I missed you, Sammy, but you were there in spirit. Um, um With all our favorites, the whole cast of Black Panther. Oh, I chatted Michael with. Michael B. Lots of Michael B. Oh, time. Yeah. You, uh, what happened? Something pretty big happened to you. What happened to me? You interviewed Kim Kardashian West and Kris Jenner. Bucket list. Someone's bucket list. Someone's bucket list. Mm -hmm. That was unexpected. Yep, they won uh, Best Reality Show. Um, I can't say they were at the top of my must-interview list, but I'm... I'm, How'd it feel? It felt like an odd moment mm-hmm. in time. Did they hug, like, did you, they hug you? Were they like no. nice to you? No, they were no, perfectly no. nice. They were perfectly nice. I have nothing negative to say about their physical presence and attitude towards me. Am I going to... They just s- didn't really care about you. <laughs> they were perfectly nice. I have mm-hmm. nothing negative to say about them. I'm not, uh, the, I'm not going to pretend to be the biggest Kardashian fan in the world. No, but you're a big Kanye fan. Okay. Well, <laughs> so you're trying did to get you? me in trouble. <laughs> yeah. um, so yes, I did uh, get some quality time with the Kardashian Jenners, uh, and that Wests, was yeah. Wests too. Uh, so that was odd and interesting. And yeah, there are a ton of backstage interviews I did, uh, red carpet interviews. I've been tweeting it out. So if you want to watch um, me talk to all our favorite celebrity friends, uh, check it out. You had a lot of Pratt time last week. I did. You I'm... like had you had like six interviews with nope. Chris. Pratt and like for no complaints of course any particular like 
off-camera Pratt highlights. He always has some funny, weird oh, things. Well, we it wasn't off-camera. We did reminisce, as we always do, on the carpet. Uh, because, like, four or five years ago, I did an interview backstage at the Movie Awards with Chris. Uh, I might have told the story before, but we were basically kicked out of the MTV Movie Awards. And uh, so that's always good for a laugh. And we talked about sort of how far Chris had come getting the Generation Award. And only four, a few years ago, we were basically kicked out of the show because we were in the wrong area. Um, so that was fun. Uh, it was, I, I, I thought it was very sweet of Chris to say when I was talking to him during the uh, red carpet, he was like, you know, tongue in cheek. He was like, obviously, uh, Josh, you made this happen. Uh, and I'm saying that now on camera because I'm not going to thank you during my speech. On stage. <laughs> I was, part of me was like, is he going to shout you out? I feel like it's as I was saying to other people, it was as close as I'll ever come to getting, I think I, if I had a chance at getting a shout out during a speech, it was probably Pratt. Mm-hmm. So it's never going to happen. Until Michael Shannon gets the Generation <laughs> Award. So speaking of, uh, today's guest is not Michael Shannon. It's Nick Offerman, who we all yeah. love. Um, he is in a wonderful new movie called Hearts Beat Loud. Um, and he, the reason I mentioned, I thought of him when you mentioned Shannon is Michael Shannon has a little cameo on this episode. What? I know Sammy doesn't know about what this. What do you mean? So, is he here right now? <laughs> yes, I've chained him underneath the desk. Um, no. So Nick and Mike uh, go way back to the Chicago theater days. Mm. And when I taped this about a week and a half ago, um, I noticed that Michael Shannon was doing a Q&A at a theater that same night with Nick Offerman. And so Nick and I were talking about it. And uh, as you'll hear during the conversation, I uh, gently suggested towards the end, Maybe we should call Mike. Let's see what he's up to. So the last five or six minutes of this podcast features uh, Michael Shannon uh, on the phone with us. Yes. And it, it's wonderful. It's fantastic. It's like a little dessert to wait for. Yeah, but not, you don't even, I mean, it's not like you're slogging through anything because no, Nick, Nick, Nick Offerman is so great. And he, first of all, a, a, a voice to die for. Oh, yeah. Perfect for podcasts. Beautiful, beautiful voice. Um, and he uh, he's great. And he, of course, if you you loved him on Parks and Rec, um, he you love his woodworking skills. I was going to say, did he make you like? Did he make you a new desk while he was here or I anything? Wish. One day, maybe. Did he make you feel like less of a man? Oh <laughs> just yeah, well, being a, in his presence doesn't take much for that. But yes, of course, mm, he's very manly. He is very manly. He had a, he had quite a beard. He was showing yes. off. Um, and I do um, heartily recommend his new film uh, because, as I said in the opening, um, this is the rare leading performance for him. Like, you know, he's obviously been this like great character actor and supporting player, but this is probably his first like substantive lead in a film, and it's getting great reviews. And I really enjoyed it. It's a very sweet movie. Um, it's him and Kiersey Clemens. You might have seen her in Dope. It's a father-daughter story. It takes place in Brooklyn, and they're kind of like bonding, and they kind of form their own little band as she's about to go off to college. And it is a very um, sweet respite from the trash fire of our world right now, mm. and I recommend it if you want like a, a hundred minutes of delightful music. And if sweet, you want a sweet respite. Sweet relationships. <laughs> Tony Collette's in it. Um, so there's a lot Another in one I missed. Another intro okay, I missed. Okay, well, it's not all about what things <laughs> Since, you're missing. I know. It's like you're purposefully saying things to hurt me now. Okay. Well, it doesn't take much, apparently. <laughs> um, so, yes. Yeah, so a lot to enjoy in this episode of Happy, Sad, Confused. Nick Offerman and, uh, as a bonus, a little little Mikey Shannon, which is always a good thing. Always. Um, as always, do you remember what we usually say at the end of these intros? It's been a while, Sammy. I remember that everyone has to remember mm-hmm. to review, rate, and subscribe. Speaking of which, I saw, I saw our... our, our 
biggest fan, uh, Alison Brie, over at uh, Movie and TV Awards. Did she review, rate, and subscribe? Not there. I mean, she was busy. Like, she wasn't well, like... Well, she could have done it. Alison and Dave, we're waiting. <laughs> we are waiting. Um, season two of Glow, coming soon. <laughs> um, yes, review, rate, and subscribe on iTunes. Spread the good word. And uh, enjoy Hearts Beat Loud. Go see Jurassic World. Support our guy, Chris Pratt. Mm-hmm. Watch the Movie and TV Awards interviews on your Facebooks and such and so forths. And go back and watch Parks and Rec. Okay. It's a good Pratt and Offerman. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's another sweet respite. <laughs> you love my sweet respite. <laughs> it's so weird. Why is that weird? I never heard anyone say that before in my life. I love sweet, sweet respites. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's that's the new name of the podcast. Sweet, sweet respites. Welcome to Sweet Respites with Josh Horowitz. Uh, <laughs> enjoy this conversation with Nick Offerman. He makes things out of wood. And movies. <laughs> what doesn't make things out of movies? He makes movies. Oh, there's, I got it. Thanks. Yeah. <clears throat> Good. I'm so yeah. This uh, this movie is so nice. It's so uh, you don't have to pretend to uh, well, sell yourself for the devil in it, this one. It's actual legitimate love. Yeah, it's just a really lovely movie that people are finding really medicinal. And you know, it's it's weird. Like even um, like we're getting a lot of nice reviews, but even the reviewers have this. Uh, reluctance to just be like, you know what, this is nice. Can't we have something nice? They're like, yeah, that's okay. not the default position. They're nowadays. like, okay, so this is nice, but I mean, I guess I have to accept that there's yeah. the capacity for niceness if in this world. If you're looking for good feelings, <laughs> then maybe this is the movie for you. It's just been so long. We're not used to it, Nick. I know it. It's true, <laughs> but it's everyone like the the audience re- responses are so nice, are yeah. so gratifying because they're like, they keep saying like, this is. Thank you for, like, you know, making us feel warm. (laughs) This is a nice sentiment to receive from the public. It really is. Uh, Are you okay with just uh, having a normal conversation? We're off and running now if you want. Sure, yeah. No official introduction. No, I haven't uh, haven't embarrassed myself yet. I don't think so. (laughs) Nope, still. Farts are welcome here. Still proud. Can you tell who the spirit animal of this office is? I think he's doing your Q&A tonight. I think he's doing... My my dear old friend Mike Shannon. Mike Shannon. I saw that he was doing the Q and A tonight, and I was like, "He's stealing my, my the one thing that I feel like I have ownership o- over." I mean, let him. Ha- I let him have being the greatest actor on the planet. Sure, but does he really have to just cramp my style that way? Too? Yeah, you might. It sounds like you might need to uh, snug up your leash a little bit. Do you see how much Mike is in the office? We got this here. We got that over there. Um, he was just here like about a month ago. He's, uh, I'm such a fan of his. I mean, I think I met him when he was 19 or 20. I was going to ask, so how far, yeah, what, what's the connection? Is it Chicago days? Is yeah, it- we met, I mean, our, uh, our little theater community in Chicago in the, I think I met him in 93. Uh, and we were both, you know, just, uh, kids who enjoyed drinking alcohol and performing on stage. And we were in the same little gang and, um, his, uh, one one of his first big hits uh, where people noticed him was Tracy Letts first play Killer Joe right and uh, I built the uh, the set I was I was a set carpenter amazing on Killer Joe yeah <laughs> and I st- I still I mean it's so funny now uh, that to see the immense success of Mike and Tracy and it's it's weird because you know I, I saw Tracy in a production of um, 
uh, Mutiny on the Bounty in like the mid '90s, right? And that was that was my first experience of him acting, and uh, and I I hadn't even really put it together uh, that he was he was Tracy that also wrote the plays. Yeah, and I was like, who who is this? Uh, you know, crazy like Sterling Hayden from the totally, '50s. Totally. <laughs> Like, how can I get this guy who's three years my senior to be my dad immediately? <laughs> I think a lot of us had that sensation. We obviously heard about yeah. August of Sage County. And then, like, simultaneously, like, when that was happening, he was starting, and in the last five years especially, like, he's suddenly Mr. Movie Star, yeah, too. Exactly. And, like, I'd love to write another uh, Pulitzer-winning play, but I'm busy winning a Tony. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, yes, I can. Yeah, I said to somebody else, I can only imagine the talent in him and, and Carrie Coon's uh, child. That's going to be an embarrassment of riches. Well, the way, but the way life goes, it'll be like some. Uh, and of course, I, I wish them the very best. But my a good friend of mine uh, was this was the son of two really cool counterculture hippies in mm-hmm. Illinois, and he turned out great. But as a teenager, he was uh, his rebellion was to be a super square, straight right. edge. Who had always threatened to call the cops on his parents? <laughs> so I hope I hope I think Tracy and Carrie will they're probably more even keeled and yeah they'll raise a, a future leader definitely definitely um, I promise not to make the entire podcast about Mike Shannon we're going to celebrate your amazing work but I'm curious what was he what was he like back in the day because he's such a unique character and I try to like I've talked to him like a dozen times over the years I'm borderline stalking him he knows this. Um, and I feel like I still am only scratching the surface of understanding what's underneath well, the icy facade. I mean, I mean this absolutely as a compliment. Mike uh, has always been uh, um, uh, uh, obsessively simple. Like, as long as I've known him, and, you know, we were like kids casting about, you know, trying to find our manhoods, you know, and yeah. like, but we, but we always took our work so seriously. I mean... Um, there, there was this notion, you know, in our generation anyway, um, Steppenwolf had, had sort of come to uh, their prowess maybe a decade or, or so before we got there. Yeah. And so there, there was this idea of like, okay, now we're the young people willing to urinate on stage. But they did that already. So, so like, what? what I guess we, we got to defecate. I guess we got to. Yeah, that's <laughs> I mean, the only logical regression, right? What? Yeah. What step up will the audience tolerate? And and so that it was that was part of our experimentation. But even though we were, you know, uh, casting about for what kind of wild men we were to be, it was all with the um, the utmost of respect and uh, and and deep. Um, deep reverence for, for theater and for storytelling. And Mike from the get go, he just was special. He had that magnetism on stage. Uh, and everybody that saw him in anything, uh, from the stage of the big stage of Steppenwolf to the little stages of like the red orchid theater company. Mm -hmm. Um, everyone was like, Oh, this guy, there's, we got to get him. Like he's get that guy. He's the, he's the, the, the real deal. He's special. And so it has never really come as a surprise that, you know, the, the stage has only grown and grown until right. it's become the world right. that says, please p- give me more of that guy's face. Do you think that, um, I mean, in, in your, in your life, have you seen a correlation between talent and success? And by, I guess success, I, I mean it in kind of like the, 
the silly way of like massive success. I mean, you can be successful in Chicago as a Chicago theater actor and that can be very fulfilling, but, um, you know, it, it always strikes me that like acting in particular is one of those, those, um, those pursuits where without a little luck, you can be the greatest actor in Peoria and no one will ever see it. Absolutely. I mean, I think Mike and I would be, would both, uh, immediately say we, we both have tons of friends that, uh, we consider more talented than we are. Mm. You know, I have a few specific ones that also moved to LA around the same time I did. And it's, it's all the weird river of life where, um, the different ingredients of, of your own personal character, combined with the serendipity of what opportunities befall you. I mean, one of my friends uh, had some immediate success. He did a couple pilots, and we were all like, oh, wait, he's, you know, he's on his way. Right. And then for some reason, uh, he was a specific character. He, he was a very funny sort of Steve Buscemi type. Mm -hmm. And uh, the zeitgeist just suddenly wasn't looking for that flavor, and they were looking for Chris Farley types or whatever right. it was. And after a couple of years of, of desert, uh, he said, you know what, that, this isn't working. I'm going to move back to the Midwest sure. and have a really satisfying life uh, running a college and like raising a family. Yeah. And I, I cried. He's a dear friend of mine. I cried really hard when he left. I mean, I was really bereft. But I also uh, admire and envy his choice because... One thing I have not had is the security and warmth of like being with my family right. and having that Midwest experience. I, I live with my um, my wildcat superstar wife and our dogs, you know, and we like travel around the country and dance for people. <laughs> Metaphorically and literally sometimes. Yeah, which which is really fun and gratifying. And I, I love our home and our and my life with her. But, you know, that I come from yeah. uh, this wonderful farm family, and so that certainly is something I don't have full-time. Sure. Uh, Seems like you've created it around you, though, through your, the, the, you know, through your pursuits in terms of your carpentry pursuits, et cetera. Like, you've, you've been able to kind of recreate some things that aren't necessarily part and parcel of the Los Angeles Hollywood experience that make you feel like you're living the life you need to Lead. That's that's very astute. I only in hindsight did I notice as I began to write books and like reflect on you know the, my my decades thus far. I I noticed that I had left this family. Uh, you know when I was writing books, I said, okay, what what the hell are you going to write about? What have you learned? And I said, oh, I've I've had amazing teachers. Let me write about them. And my first teachers are my f incredible family, not just my mom and dad, who are the greatest American heroes. But my aunts and uncles and, and my mom and dad's parents, they all were great teachers. And, uh, and I noticed then that uh, unwittingly, by getting into small Chicago theater, specifically my theater company, the Defiant Theater, that's a family. That's a, it's a family group, much like a farm, yep. where a lot of people are working really hard for, for uh, little to no pay mm -hmm. to bring produce or something uh, tasty to, you know, to the people. And then when I moved to L.A., uh, Megan and I met at, an, at another great little theater company called The Evidence Room. And, but it wasn't, 
it was later in our lives, you know, for these little broke theater companies, youth is a really important ingredient. You have to be willing to like sure. get paid nothing and not have kids or responsibilities yeah. or health insurance. Um, <laughs> and then in your 30s, which is w- what we were doing in L.A., that is, that's more like eh, we're all grownups and uh, people, aren't, people don't really come to the theater like they do in Chicago. And so then I, again, unwittingly started my wood shop, which was first me and actually my friend that moved away. Mm-hmm. That was why I missed him. We started the shop together. Got it. And, um, and, but then I peopled it with, and now I have like usually six people working there. And it's very much a little family. So in hindsight, I, I have absolutely sort of maintained my Midwestern garden, yep. uh, as it were. Because I know inherently that if I focus my passion and my uh, my affections uh, into a group of people, it's just a lot healthier um, than if I you know spend all my money on a yacht right. and pay people to be my friends. Right. Yeah. Though it's worth trying out. I mean, it could be an interesting exploration in your in your fifties. Who knows? Yeah, you never know. I, um, mean, I, I shouldn't knock it. No, don't knock until you tried it. Um, Megan was here about a year ago. Do you sense her good mojo in in the room? You feel I, something? I thought I caught a whiff of. <laughs> Of that that musk with which I am so besotted, we're all besotted. She's delightful. Um, you you met at a very like intriguing time. In, I mean, she was it was a couple seasons into Will and Grace. Like Will and Grace, she was on top of the world. Like yeah. she was it was she, was she, had, it. she had just arrived. The yeah. world was like holy shit. Oh, so this is yeah. there's a new Mel Brooks in town, exactly. and his name is Megan <laughs> Mullally. <laughs> and you were not. That's correct. That's also correct. <laughs> to, to be fair. Um, was that kind of like, I don't know, was that a bit of a head trip? Like, why is this fabulous woman who has just been discovered interested in me? And, and also is it, how do we make this work if, uh, it's just, it's an odd power imbalance and there always is somewhat of power imbalance, but this feels like a striking one, especially for someone that wanted success and was pursuing it. Yeah, it was crazy and and it was terrifying, um, and it really, I, I remember uh, feeling butterflies in a way for, for weeks that I've never felt before or since of, uh, I, I think, you know, this comedy legend who's also a gorgeous woman. Uh, and I, I think, I think this is happening. I think there's electricity sparking here, but that can't be. I, I am familiar with arithmetic. <laughs> right. and On paper, this is not you right. You can't crunch these numbers. Right. And, um... And I was really, I, I, I couldn't have, uh, I couldn't have articulated it at the time, but I was just terrified as like a broke, uh, ignorant theater basement dwelling troll. Um, but it's I, like quite a match.com profile you wrote for yourself. It is. <laughs> uh, that, that's my, that's my flavor, ladies. Um, Swipe left or right. I don't even know. I, but I don't know. I had, I had a deep confidence in myself that was that was instilled by my parents like I knew I knew that I was a man of value uh in certain arenas just not the arena of like successful television comedies or fashionable uh dressing people (laughs) like there was a lot of her world that I had I had never stepped into Mm. and and honestly I mean even when we started dating and I moved in with her uh 
she, we had to go to some stuff that fall because it was it, uh, she won her first Emmy that fall. So there was a lot of like events to go to. And so she took me shopping one day and bought me. It's the Pretty Woman sequence where a hundred percent. Because I literally had one pair of overalls and and I was proud of that. And she yeah. was like, "We're gonna need some other nicer overalls." And we went shopping at like a fancy store, and you know she dressed me up uh, real pretty. And then at one point she said, "Run over to that counter and just get some underwear and some socks." And I went over there and I said, uh, I just need, you know, whatever, you know, please give me uh, some of your finest underwears. And, uh, and they get, and they pulled out some socks, just some like dress socks. And I don't, they were like $42 a pair. Right. And I, and that was, that was where it all could have come crumbling down where I was like, what the hell are you doing? What are you doing? What are you becoming? <laughs> Can you live in this world? And I went over to Megan and I was like, I will go to Sears and buy some goddamn black socks. And we had like, a, that was like our first fight where she's like, just get the socks. And, you know, and I, I, and I had to really learn to acquiesce into this world where, and like all things, I mean, she's 11 years older than me. She's been an amazing teacher to me uh, besides a beautiful lover and uh, partner. Um, and one of the things she taught me right away was she said, I, I am making way more money right now than I ever, than I did. We, we both were in our late thirties when we got our big break TV shows. So we both lived as an adult for, you know, 15 yeah. years. Um, and she said, when you get more income, uh, you know, there, there are choices you have to make. You can be miserly, you can send it all to your church, uh, but whatever you choose to do, it's just another opportunity to be creative. Yeah. And one way we can be creative is to dress in a way that says, I love life, or I think I'm beautiful, or whatever, or, you right. know, I'm good at cutting down trees, whatever your pers personal message is. So how expensive are the socks you're wearing today, would you say? These socks are by a, and it's a, I'm proud to say they're made in America. It's a company called Wigwam. Okay. It's a simple white athletic sock. Oh, nice. And I think it's, it's a working man's sock. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> did you, I, the, the lesson was yeah. buy socks out of Megan's purview. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yes, honey, I'm all set for socks. <laughs> This is how this is how you cheat on her is like you go sock sh <laughs> shopping is. by yourself. Yes, and so if we could keep this between oh, us, yeah, I yeah. would appreciate. We'll it. cut this out of the podcast. No worries. So in the so you seem to have like an astonishing level head on your shoulders, given the amount of actors I've spoken with that have struggled for a year or ten years or fifteen years or whatever it is. Um, I, I'm just curious. Like, did did the thin did the skin get thicker or thinner in the years? of constant auditions like were you able to kind of like keep it in check uh, or were there were there years of 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 you know clenching your fists towards the heavens saying why not me um i i'm lucky that uh i mean the first part the first answer is uh i used to drink a lot <laughs> <laughs> that'll i have, can pour a lot into that, that yeah, cup. yeah that it needs to be part of the disclosure right. but i'm lucky that uh I really have had great teachers um, that, so my dad and, and my mom and, and my sensei in college uh, who taught me kabuki theater, Shozo Sato, he, he laid some w wisdom on me that really stuck. 
uh, about the world mm. and, um, and, and about always maintaining the attitude of a student. And it really has served me well. So when I got to Los Angeles and I started auditioning, and as anyone does, you know, mostly failing or being rejected, um, it was pretty easy to discern that it wasn't merit-based, that the whole system is so superficial and it's so arbitrary. Uh, I mean, you know, I was lucky. I even, even to have an agent and get auditions was a big deal. And I'd... I'd make it uh, pretty far in like a pilot casting process. And then the word would come down that the network had decided to change it to a a black person. Mm -hmm. And you would say, okay, well, I mean, uh, if if you had your wits about you, it was easy to, to understand that it's never personal. Yeah. And it's, and the, often the people making the decisions are not creative people. They're business people. And they're following their intuition that says, I don't like this guy's mustache or this guy looks like the guy that my wife is sleeping with right. or whatever that you can't control. And so I, I, in, in a sort of bucolic, you know, farmy way early on in Los Angeles, I said, you know what? I'm not going to pursue this business. I'm not going to be ambitious. I'm not going to play the game on their on their terms. Yeah, um, I know from my years in theater in Chicago that my work is solid, and and that's how I'm used to getting work. People see me in something. Mm. Mike Shannon saw me in a play called The Ugly Man, and he and his partner Gus Van Swearingen, this amazing Chicago theater guy, they were going to do this three man play, and they were looking for their third guy. And I noticed the second and third night they were at my play. And, and they said, we really like what you're doing. We want you to come do this thing with us. And so that, literally, that experience of, of winning the approbation of those two guys, uh, that fueled me for years where yeah. I was like, well, those two guys know that I can do good work. Right. So here I'm auditioning for Baywatch. I'm not going to worry too much about your opinion. Did you really audition for Baywatch? I did. Well, uh, it was it was a... I, uh, when I when I said I was moving to L.A. from Chicago to make fun of myself and lessen the pain, I said I really wanted to get on Baywatch. And I had a Baywatch air freshener dangling from my rearview mirror. So I literally was driving towards Baywatch at all times. <laughs> and I um, and that was it was kind of a joke. Sure. But then early on in L.A., I met the casting director of Baywatch for something else. And I said, listen, uh, I have this joke with my friends in Chicago. If there's anything I could come do, like if you just need, you know, a plumber or a mechanic or right. something. And Baywatch was kind of wrapping up. They they ended with some sort of Baywatch. Baywatch Lu- Nights. Louisiana oh, there, situation. Or there were, I think there was definitely Baywatch Nights. There might have been, yes. I think that's, yeah, you're correct. Yes, there was other. I, it was like the CSI Miami of the time. Okay, yeah. And she and so there was some talk. <laughs> she liked the idea of the joke, um, but it, but we thankfully did not pull it off. But but to um, to to wrap up the answer to that question, um, that's 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 where something would happen every couple of years that would say stick around, everything's mm-hmm. going to be okay. Uh, the best one was. Early on with Megan, we were in Malibu walking down the beach one time. The sun was setting. It was beautiful. And a single figure was walking along. And we were ankle deep in the water. It was perfect, as idyllic as you would think. 
and it was Gary Shandling. And Megan had known, had met him, and they said, hi, you know, nice to see you, this is Nick. And we, you know, we chewed the fat for five minutes, and he was kept kind of looking at me. And then we, we went to part, and he said, and nothing had been mentioned of, uh, that I was an aspiring actor or anything. And he said, uh, stick with it, you've got something. Wow. And I, I said, uh, okay, I will. And I mean, that <laughs> comedy legend Gary Shandling, I shall. <laughs> that just bought me three years where totally. I was like, look, you all say I suck, but Gary said to stick around. As so. you were exiting a bad audition, you did just like holler behind you. Yeah. By the way, Gary Shandling thought yeah. I had potential. Suck it from Gary Shandling. <laughs> <laughs> did you see the new uh, Apatow doc on uh, Gary? I, have n- I can't oh, wait to it's see amazing. it. Yeah, it's sitting with Megan and I have been on the road, and that's the first thing on our pile. It's, it's, it's pretty astonishing. Okay, so let me run through a couple of the, the kind of random weird roles that occur in someone's career, particularly yours. I'm just curious uh, because yeah, it's just so striking to see prior to the, the late 30s big break. Um, for instance, in City of Angels, you played construction worker. That's right. How was that experience? Um, it was great. I, I had just been in L.A. for maybe a couple of years, and I actually got cast in this really nice scene uh, in the movie, and I'm a huge Vim Vendors fan. Sure. Uh, and so even though I knew that the American version would have to be garbage. I mean, you know, it's, yeah, it's one a, of the greatest works yeah. of art. Yeah. yeah, It's not even really that insulting no. to City of Angels. Yeah. Um, it would just be an American, you know, anything. <laughs> it's the Big Mac of Vim Vendor's <laughs> movies. But I, I got this really nice scene where Nicolas Cage uh, suspects he's become immortal. Or no, he's, he's an angel who... Uh, is testing to see if he's become mortal. Right. And he does so by jumping off like a third story construction site. Right. And I and I was this security guard who finds him and like, hey buddy, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, my bleeding. You know, he's he's finding out if he's now mortal. And we ended up having this nice conversation about women and men. And I was so excited. I mean, it was Nicolas Cage, you know. And, and I, this is peak Nicolas Cage at the time. Like. Yeah, yeah, and I'm living in somebody's basement. like. Right. And I was writing. I, it shot at a construction site down in Orange County, maybe an hour south of L.A. Rode my motorcycle to set. I was maybe 28 years old. I get there. Brad Silberling was the director. Yep. He came to my trailer. You know, it was like the third time I even ever had, had a trailer. He's like, hey, Nick, how you doing? Yeah, good to see you. So, um, we, uh, we've already, we've already, uh, got the information. Like we've done some rewriting and we've already sort of covered what your scene was about. So we've cut the scene. Um, we are going to kind of still do it. We're going to have them jump off the thing and we're going to have just some construction workers like yell some stuff down at them. So if you want, we'll give you, you could stay and do one of those lines. Sure. Also, we're having lobster for lunch. So we'd love for you to stay for lunch. And I it's was, lobster day, Nick. So yeah. you might not want to pass on and this. I was like, well, that sucks, but I do love lobster. Um, right. okay. And the crazy thing is, so I did it and, and, um, so we do the scene, and Nicolas Cage lands, and he, he wakes up, and somebody, and we yell down, and he he senses blood on his face, and he says, "Is this blood?" And I yell, "Is it red?" And that's my line in the movie. <laughs> you, the astonishing. I'm so glad that I did it because the astonishing lesson was, from all corners of the nation, people I hadn't talked to in ten years, right. would call me and be like. Dude, was that you that said, is it red? And 
many friends when I would see them like across a crowded uh, ball game parking lot would just yell Screen, at is me. It red? Is it red? Hey, Nick, is it red? <laughs> and I was like, well, I believe my career has peaked. Was that your moment comparable to there's this delightful moment and we'll get a little bit more into Hearts Beat Loud, this wonderful new film you're in, but there's this delightful moment where you hear the song that you've done with your daughter on Spotify and it is this kind of like transcendent like, oh my God, just like a beautiful moment. Do you, is there is there a moment like that in your career? Hopefully, tell, don't tell me it's, is it red? Um, um, no. <laughs> no, I mean, the, uh, I suppose the only thing I could, I could compare to it I mean, I've never had anything that uh, Brett Brett Haley, the film director, says it's it's very much an homage to a similar moment in that thing you do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I've never had anything that you know uh, singularly revelatory, but when um, the advent of Parks and Recreation uh, as a popular piece of culture, and specifically my character. Um, went hand in hand with social media mm. and the creation of memes and gifs or gifs. Where, sure. do, where do you come down on that? I go gif. I had to read something on camera yesterday, and they told me to say gif, and it really it upset me greatly. I thought, yeah. I mean, I, I think you? I'll I'll forever be happy with either uh, either or either um, <laughs> either gif or either gif. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but. Um, but that that all happened, and so there were uh, there were a lot of really trippy moments where Ron Swanson, uh, through no fault of mine or the show, like he was sort of picked up and carried in in little elven wheelbarrows <laughs> by the culture to so many places, yeah. and so suddenly he would crop up, and, and that's still happening. Where like. Um, in India, there's a picture of Ron Swanson that's being used all over the place to demarcate men's rooms, <laughs> which is amazing in so many ways, but also so fucking, fucking weird. Trippy. <laughs> Just like, and and so sometimes I will be, uh, you know, you'll be in any random American city, yeah. and there's also um, a lot of graffiti where they take a stencil of Ron Swanson and just spray it around. So my, like my mom and dad, for example, took a really terrible train trip from Chicago to New York where there was just trouble. There was some, you know, yeah. a, a 12 hour trip turned into 27 hours. So they roll into Grand Central at five in the morning and they're just miserable. And they go to get on the escalator and the little sign on the escalator that's like, some sort of person walking, like, don't do something. Someone had just stuck a Ron Swanson head on the thing, and they <laughs> suddenly you know, their trip was made. Totally fine. So there are <laughs> there are revelatory moments, but nothing like that thing in the movie. That's pretty crazy. But before before we come closer to the present, there was one other um, IMDb credit that I feel like just sums it up. Appeared in your life in Sin City. You're credited as playing Schlub. That's right. Uh, I was a huge fan of, of the graphic novels sure. of, of Sin City, and um, when I heard they were doing it, that's, th I think, the only time in my life, like, I campaigned so hard to get an audition for Lord of the Rings when Peter Jackson started. I wrote him letters. I called, like, you know. I'd, you were just big into Tolkien growing up. You were, that was it, your thing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In, in, a, in a small town, uh, a cultural vacuum. Lord of the Rings and and the Chronicles of Narnia; those were my yeah. jams, yeah. And, and I knew them inside and out. And I wanted to play Samwise Gamgee. I was like, "You cannot, you cannot <laughs> beat this goddamn my, my 
I'm, I'm your man. Um, and, uh, and I, I did actually, uh, harangue, uh, I did audition for Gimli. I had an audition on tape for Gimli. Um, that was as close as I came, but Sin City, uh, you know, it happens a lot where you hear, oh my God, they're making a movie of a wrinkle in time. Yep. And you're like, oh my God, I, you know, how can I get, how can I get in front of Oprah? <laughs> um, <laughs> But in that case, uh, I heard they were doing it. I was a huge fan of the books. And in the books, uh, there are these two comic relief characters named Schlub and Clump, a huge, weird giant, and then this tiny, like, weaselly dude. And uh, I, you know, without this time reaching out to anybody, I got an audition for the role of Schlub. And I, I read and met with uh, Robert Rodriguez in at the Four Seasons in Beverly Hills, which was super, you know, weird and yeah. surreal. And it happens this way sometimes where you go in and do it, and it's really fun, it feels good, but it's he's an albino giant. I mean, he's like, you know, he's a monster character. So, you know, you don't, I'm like, uh, I don't know that I'm the best casting for right. this. And then, and then like five weeks or three months later, you just get a call where they're like, hey, you got this job. And you're like, what? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Um, and so it, it was, it was an incredible education. We shot it at his his crazy place in uh, Troublemaker Austin, right? Studios. Yeah. yeah, and it and he was really innovative. Like it was all green screen, yeah. really early green screen. There's a shot of me and my sidekick, a great actor named Richard Gomez, played Clump. Uh, um, we're driving in a little convertible, like uh, on a ridge highway in the mountain, in like the Alps, and we're in the convertible on a green turntable with a with a jib, and with the camera movement and the turntable, they then just take that and you know put it on this animated mountain range, and at the time it was just mind blowing. Yeah, it still like, is it was, kind of. It was yeah. super fun. Um, you know, Nick, they're making a. Lord of the Rings TV show for Amazon. I have heard that. Yes, it's not too late. Well, maybe not. I'm. I. Uh, I. I learned a long time ago. I mean, Lord of the Rings may have been the last time that I ardently pursued something. Okay. I learned that that is not the way to get what I want. But do you secretly, between us, want that? It depends. Well, I can secret it into the universe for you and well, help here, with the mojo. Here's the thing. It depends. That, and part of the reason I don't pursue it is because I might not want it. Right. And it, it all depends. It, let's just say I get the call. And I don't know if they're, if they're doing the whole thing it's over unclear. again. Yeah, I, I don't know. Or is it Silmarillion or who knows? Um, I mean, honestly, the ideal for me would be to land a plum cameo. Uh, of which there are two, Tom Bombadil right. or Bjorn. Mm -hmm. um, but so the call could come in and they could say, we want you to be Aragorn or Gandalf or just something, you know, it's, it's a bit more of a time commitment, super jizz worthy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so all that means is you have to come to New Zealand for four years or whatever. Right. And then you're like, oh, I can't do it yeah. because I'm, I'm going to stay married rather than come play. <laughs> Strider. Uh, okay, well, let's see if we can at least confront this difficult decision. And yeah, if, if they'll shoot a... it in Ojai, <laughs> <laughs> which is a solid pitch. They have trees. What more do you need? Yeah, they, they, have, they have flat. They Ted have... Danson's around over there, totally. I think. Um, I, have, I have his number. <laughs> I'll, 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 it's a twofer. You I'll get, get Danson and Alperman. I'll get you, you Danson. 
<laughs> Speaking of which, there's our segue to this uh, delightful movie. It's a sweet movie. This is an adjective not used enough for movies these days because they're not necessarily I, sweet. Yeah. Uh, Hearts Beat Loud. Brett Haley is this great filmmaker, writer, writer as well, right? The yeah. co-writer on the script. Yeah, I yeah he and a, a guy named Mark Bash mm-hmm. have written his their last three beautiful hit movies. Yeah, and, and they're all great. Uh, the Hero was the last one. Uh, you appeared in that one. I as did, well, yeah. Right? Um, that was my gateway to this one. So, And this one is striking for a number of reasons. I mean, it didn't even occur to me, uh, but you know, I've heard you say in other interviews that this is, it seems like this is by far the largest, just in terms of like screen time and like headlining a movie part for you in a film. By far. Yeah. I mean, the biggest uh, role uh, before this would have been in the founder where I had a sure. wonderful supporting role to Michael Keaton's lead as Ray Kroc, uh, the founder of McDonald's. But I, just two nights ago, we premiered the movie, and Megan saw it for the first time. We saw it at a great arts complex in Red Hook called Pioneer Works in this cool outdoor garden. It was this really groovy premiere. And Megan and I, are, you know, we're each other's biggest fans, but we're also, you know, we're a partnership. So we're also each other's acting coach and, and critic and, mm-hmm. and, you know, arbiter of, of all things. And so watching things together is always gratifying but also there's some nerves yeah and so i'm sitting there holding hands with megan and and it's some scene and i'm just i'm I'm deep breathing and like you know i hope this doesn't suck i hope she still thinks i'm good and then and then i get the relief of the scene is ending and then it cuts to me again and i'm like this whole goddamn movie this is hard yeah (laughs) And thankfully, she uh, she really loved it, and mm. we're still together. <laughs> but yeah, it's I, I um, there was there was there was a lot of firsts, uh, and I'm so grateful that Brett and his partner Mark Bash, uh, through working together on the hero, they said we have this idea about a single dad, and and we've been looking for the dad, and we think Nick is the guy, so mm. we're going to write it for Nick. And I've never gotten to just play a guy who uh, the the movie focuses on my relationship with my daughter, played by the crazy exploding rainbow unicorn, <laughs> Kiersey Clemens. I mean, she's she's great. She's an uncontainable star power. <laughs> and then she starts to sing and your head explodes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my relationship with her. And then I have a, a, a vulnerable attempt at romance with Tony Collette, who's also my landlady. Just spoke with her this week for the podcast. She's, she's amazing. What a legend. I mean, yeah. And, and we've been talking about her a lot with this movie. She has two movies opening today. She's, she's, Unsung. I mean, no, totally. She, you, and you start to dig into it. You like everybody appreciates her, but you start, and I think it's going to happen. And I, I think even into award season, um, you start to dig into that fil- that career and the range. She, it's, yeah, she's, she's up there. She's with the an best. edifice really. of of great artists. Uh, so my relationship with both of them, I was just getting to play these scenes that I've literally never gotten to play. Yeah, a, a, a scene where I've had too much to drink and I'm on her threshold. Trying to, you know, basically and failing to say, "Will you please love me?" Um, and every take of the scene, we'd, I would say, "You guys, <laughs> like, I felt like a freshman at prom, or yeah. I was like, I've never danced with a girl before. This is <laughs> this is amazing. It was so fun." And even also in the day's work, there'd be like, "What's Brett? What's this scene?" And he's like, "Oh, we're just gonna shoot you walking down the sidewalk." And I would say, what, do I have to fart? What, what the or fuck do are you I talking to, like, yeah. What do I do? Like, am I eating a pork chop? <laughs> like, 
you don't just shoot me walking down the sidewalk. And he's like, yeah, we do. We care. We just care about how your day is going. And I start crying. And I'm like, this, I, I, I've read of such things, but it was really something. Yeah, because I can imagine, like, you know, especially a, a talented uh, a gentleman like yourself, like a, sometimes a, a script might come your way where you're expected to like 50% up the funny. It's like, yeah, uh, you, you do the Nick Offerman thing. Sure. You, you just, you, you, you make it funnier, right? Yeah. And that's probably like a recipe for disaster and not necessarily that's... It can be. I mean, generally, uh, it happens more in TV than in film where you get a script and they're and they're like, we're thinking of casting, you know, great improvisers right. so you guys can really... And you're like, you could stop right there. <laughs> like, how about you... How about you get some great writers and then you then cast we'll, great improvisers and to get, we'll put that chocolate and peanut butter <laughs> together and make a delicious candy. <laughs> so... You spent, this is, there's no segue here, except that I noticed you've been here in New York for a bit. You were at uh, the BookCon shenanigans, because you and Megan have a book coming in a, in a few months, right? Well, yeah, we have, speaking of candy, we have this book coming out October 2nd called The Greatest Love Story Ever Told. And uh, it's, Megan is, is the art director in our house, and so she, this book is like, I'm just so lucky <laughs> in so many ways to be her partner, because she had the idea for this book. And we did the book together because it's about, you know, I'm required to be involved because it's about us. But I mean, she's the brains right. uh, and the beauty. But I still I still hold down brawn. You've uh, got you've got the, the delicious beard in front of me. Is this default Nick Offerman? Is this for a role? Is this just like it is default? Yeah. Yeah. One left to my own devices. I, I go full wizard. Uh, <laughs> You've also like so. Was the Ron Swanson body the natural Nick body, or is the body I'm seeing today? Because you're you're in good shape right now. Thank you. Um, I I mean, in a nutshell, uh, I was very athletic my whole life. I was good at football, especially. Uh, then I was I was a, a avid stage combatant in my theater <laughs> years, and then when I hit my thirties. One aspect of Chicago theater is uh, you go do your play. Uh, maybe you spend your day building scenery in a shop. Then you go perform in a play. Then you go to the pub and drink four pints of right. beer. Um, and that's, you know, it's, it's an enjoyable part of the job. And then you, and you discuss, you know, you break down that evening's uh, verses. Um, and then in, in my 30s, that habit uh, began to affect my health and my my physicality but it didn't occur to me to do anything i was like well i'm a natural man like this is where i'm going i'm gonna now i'm gonna be husky <laughs> and so when Full figured I, yeah yeah uh, beefy and so <laughs> so and i still was always a carpenter so like i've always been very strong and athletic just with a, a little bigger waistline and when parks and rec happened they really liked that as a representation of a midwestern you know protagonist guy and Mike Schur, uh early on said, you know, I, I would love if you would stay beefy if the show keeps going. And f for your boss to ask you to <laughs> go ahead and order that second cheeseburger is a wonderful circumstance. <laughs> for the show, Mike. Yeah. For the show. For you, I will, I will do that. <laughs> so that was seven years, and it was really fun. And, you know, it was, it was delicious. But but sincerely, um, you know, uh, we, we finished the show when I was like 44 or so. And my doctor was like, oh, you're, you know, your arteries are, are showing some damage and uh, your heart, you know, you, you, right. could, you could maybe lay off that second cheeseburger. 
and maybe replace the first one with a turkey burger. <laughs> and so first I started paying really good attention to my diet and that, that knocked off 15 pounds in a day. <laughs> like, um, and then, uh, you know what, about a year and a half ago, I was, uh, meeting with a director about a superhero role and I was telling him, um, it, it was a wonderful meeting because I, I know what's, I know the score by now. And I said, look, I'm so glad that I'm number seven on your list of guys to meet. Uh, I know that you can't cast me in this movie. Uh, it, it, I said, the, the smartest, most audacious thing you could do would be to cast me. I'll be funnier than any of these other guys. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're great, but, yeah. I, but what I will bring is, uh, I, I, I think, I don't know anyone that can get a laugh with a, with a grim uh, set jaw. <laughs> Um, they may be better actors sure, and better but looking, you've but got if you want to, if you want to brings, chuckle, I'm yes. your guy. And, but I said, I know you can't do it, but I love, I'm, I'm thrilled that we met today and good luck. And while I was saying this to him, I, I, um, something occurred to me when I was shooting Fargo, I was out to dinner with Patrick Wilson and we were eating like emperors and drinking beer and it was wonderful. And we did it a couple nights and then we're shooting the next day, and he's in these 70s burgundy state trooper pants. Right. And I was like, God damn, that guy's built like a superhero. And I was like, wait a second, Patrick, <laughs> how do you go out and eat all that chi fried chicken and beer and you look like that? And he's like, oh, I run. I run a few miles every morning. And when I was having the meeting for the superhero movie, just in my head, like a little bell went ding. <laughs> If you want, if you want to be considered for this superhero yeah. role in the future going forward, so that day I started running, and that was a year and a half ago, and I've been running three or four miles a day, five or six days a week. There you go. And it's, uh, I don't do anything. I do things organically. That just occurred to me, and I was like, oh, I'm going to do that, because it'll change up how I'm perceived. I'll get new, interesting roles to look at. Because after Ron Swanson, I was getting offered a lot of derivative right. sheriffs, football coaches, ex-Marines, or on the indie, on the interesting Todd Solon's indie side, it was like overweight guys in their briefs crying in the mirror, <laughs> which are wonderful things to do, but yeah. that was like all that was coming my yeah. way. And I was like, eh, I wouldn't mind playing a, a, a maybe a more attractive guy crying in the mirror. Um, <laughs> And so I, I think that I'm on my way to something. I don't know what the finish line is like. But I, as an actor, I love to be, I love to change and be unrecognizable if I can. And one of the tools in my box that I've been able to exploit is a nice head of hair and whiskers. So mm -hmm. I can, that gives you a lot of permutations that I have not nearly exhausted. Um, but also, if you can, you know, if you can do, a De Niro thing or a Christian Bale thing where you get in great shape or you add weight or whatever. And so I'd just for fun, uh, I'd love to try something where I get super buffed out just cause that's, that's a way I can look. Yeah. That's something that's available to me. I'll, I'll never play someone, um, the, uh, uh, who, who's, um, uh, the great actor from, um, Inglorious, Christoph Waltz. Right, like right, right. I'll never be cast as someone who can speak a lot of European languages, 
but I can be cast as someone with uh, intimidating biceps. That <laughs> You're is, ready for the spandex now. Now you've, <laughs> yeah. been, you've been practicing at home. You've seen that there are abs that are possible, yeah. somewhat visible. Why can't I cry in a cape? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, do you know what you're off to do next? What's, uh, what's the next gig? Um, let's see. I'm, I'm building, uh, I'm getting close to finishing up nine ukuleles in my shop. Amazing. And it's a prototyping phase where I'm, I'm setting up the shop. It's a long, really enjoyable process of setting up the shop to be able to repeatably make ukuleles for sale on our site, offermanwoodshop.com. Um, we have, we have that book coming out. Uh, Amy Poehler and I have a show called right. making it, mm-hmm which is so fun and heartwarming. It's, it's funny, you know, as a, uh, a former um, stage mate of Mike Shannon in the uh, peeing on stage 90s of Chicago. <laughs> now you're doing a, an NBC. I'm making doing a it. show about <laughs> gluing felt. And, and I'm here promoting my sweet movie um, <laughs> that's PG-13 that, about me and my daughter. But... Um, I have I have taken a new job that I can't talk about okay. yet, but I'm so excited about, and I, I wish I could tell you about it. Um, I'll tell you about it off the record. All right, we'll leave that for for the next time. Should we call Mike? Should we conference him in? Would, sure. that, would that end the relationship? It, no, it wouldn't hurt my feelings. Let's try, let's try Mike. Do you want to try him on the phone? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Nick's going to call Mike Shannon. Taking it off of airplane mode because I use my goddamn manners. <laughs> You're a professional podcaster. Man. Have you guys considered doing a podcast, you and Megan? Well, you know, no. Um, podcasts, uh, I would love to do one, so would she. But the, th- the thing that we're aware of is, um, and, and from talking to our friends who are, have had very successful podcasts, is... It's a hell of an albatross. Like you might once you start, it's even if you get through six months of like uh, it's constant work. Mm-hmm. It's really great. Uh, maybe you get to talk to a ton of amazing people. Then you get to month seven, and you're like, Jesus God, we have to keep. Yeah. Welcome, welcome to year four for me. I'm <laughs> so we're generally not usually not looking for more projects. Like you're, you're, the plate is full. All right, ringing. This is exciting. Ringing, Mike. And he'll be, it won't be crazy because he's, he's doing my Q&A tonight. Can you feel the anticipation? I can. He's got a new iPhone. Oh, hello, Mike. Hey, uh, before we dive in, I just want you to know we're, uh, we're on a podcast right now. Um, do you, would you like to say hello? What's, what's your favorite podcast, Mike, Sean? No, 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 Mike. Kobe, Kobe Bryant talking about the NBA. That Mike, that is my favorite. No, podcast. no, guys, guys, no, no. Hap, hap. Oh fuck, <laughs> Mike. I'm just a little bit upset that you're moderating tonight because I want you to like leave me something because I feel like I don't know. That's the one thing that I have over you. Oh no, I think there's a lot more than just that, Josh. <laughs> I mean, I think you get higher marks across the board. That's I, very sweet. I tried Pretty to... much in every category except hiking. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's... that's I haven't ordered a bread has. He has... Hold on one second. Hold on. Oh, he's... He, water. He's at a restaurant, hey guys, and he just said, I didn't order the breadsticks. Is this a live podcast? 
Uh, no, we're recording, so we can we can cut out any uh, any anything incriminating. Yeah, you can. You, you can. And by the way, Josh, I did appreciate you editing our podcast. Oh no, wow! I did. I did. I did appreciate it. Okay, 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 okay is that good. okay? Okay, okay, good. I was trying to save you, Mike. Because I realized how what I said could have gotten you in a lot of trouble. I was I was worried about I was worried about uh, those that moment and I'll cut this out by the way too all good no worries no worries you don't uh, have to cut it out all right all right all right sometimes we say things have that I can be misconstrued wrong? not at all no no I appreciate no. it I just don't want you to uh, I don't want to allude to something that's going to confuse the audience but all good man and I I would I would offer that Josh has great hygiene for radio <laughs> he does I mean you expect you kind of have to expect the guy to not bathe because he doesn't really. I guess he doesn't have to. Yeah, I mean, he's he's sitting in a, a room alone with a woodworker, so <laughs> we're, I'm used to a lot of exotic smells. Yeah, it's, uh, you, you'll you'll be happy to know, yeah, Mike. What that, do you think of that? Uh, what do you think of that picture? Of of Are you in, oh uh, of the picture with you with the bunny hat on. Yeah, and it says, what the fuck are you pointing at, honky? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there are, at first glance, there are 37 things to enjoy in that photograph. <laughs> You'll be happy to know this was... But I thought... Yeah. I thought woodworking studios smelled okay. Well, they do, but when you when you rip into usually an exotic tropical hardwood, like Coca-Bolo or Bubinga... There can be the tang of, of body odor. Um, it can it can smell a little bit like you've just cut open a baboon. Do you dread paper cuts or, or splinters more? I hope I never know that that smell. Well, it, it's 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 warmer uh, because it's surrounded by sawdust and the other scents of of wood glue and beeswax and varnish. Um, it's tempered here in this office where it's redolent of, of thumbtacks <laughs> and uh, hard drives and, and highlighter markers. It's a well, little. Is there a big bottle of bourbon there? Uh, let's see. Yes, there is. Uh, and, and it's still sealed. Um, so it looks like we have our work cut out for us. <laughs> and I, uh, Mike, I, I'm going to see you this evening. Uh, and I'm, I'm deeply. Yeah, 8.30. I want to be there. I'm gonna bring a buddy, maybe. Okay, great. Well, I'm I'm really grateful, and I I will show you some physical affection when I see you tonight. Josh, are you gonna be there? I, I'll be there for both of you guys if you'll have me. All right, I will cajole him into showing up now. Mike, thank you for letting I us bother you. Mike, thanks thanks for letting us butt butt into What's your happening? day. Hello. Oh, hello. Hi, is this Kate? Hello, this? is it is. It's Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman, <laughs> hi. Hi, we're we're uh, we're on a podcast. It's uh, that that is obsessed with stalking Mike, um, <laughs> and so uh, so we called him on the podcast. Seems like a good awesome. idea at the time. I love it. Did he give you some some juicy pearls? It was gold. <laughs> His his contribution was rife with Mike Shannon flavor. Fantastic. Um, well, I hope you're doing well, and I, I look forward to clapping my arms about both of you. Well, we would love 
to see you. I would love to see you. I guess Mike will get to see you tonight. I, you can come over and... Um, true. No sitter. No sitter to be had. That's uh, sometimes sometimes life you. hands you uh, parenting responsibilities, <laughs> and that's we can almost leave the little one alone with the big one, but I think we could still go to jail. Well, you w w if and when you eventually see this movie, it's uh, it centers around I'm a single dad, and it's all about me and my daughter, and and parents seem to find it very moving. So I hope that you do. I love all parenting drama. Well, this this one will get you right in the beanbag. <laughs> all right, darling. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Wow. All right. That, 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 that's, I feel like I wasted so many great talents on an inane conversation there, but thank you for indulging me, Nick. Oh, my pleasure. That's a, somebody, uh, trying to remember, uh, I, I, li I like listening to, it must have been, um, oh, I know what it was. It was when Hubel was on Mark Marin. They got into a war. Oh, something about going, looking at like who they had on their phone. They right? were going through the famous people <laughs> they had in their contacts. Amazing. amazing. Um, um, well, thank you for, for going on that. That could have gone much worse, sure. I feel. Um, Hearts Beat Loud. Let's sell this amazing movie because we both feel very strongly about this one. It's, it's, it really is a, a touching, sweet piece of work. Brett Haley is a, a very fine filmmaker, and I'm so glad that he, he wrote something worthy of your talents. And, oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, he seems like somebody... I mean, I love that he did it for Sam on the last one, Sam Elliott. And, Bl and Blythe Danner on the one before dreams, that. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's a great talent to watch. So uh, everybody should check out Hearts Beat Loud. Uh, by the time you listen to this, it is out and about. Uh, Nick, Kiersey Clemens, Tony Collette, what more do you want? people what the more that you will want after seeing the movie is the soundtrack which also drops today <laughs> and i have a playlist on spotify which is a web location <laughs> where you can listen to music thanks for like the tons of different music yeah so i hear um and it, it actually spotify is plays a part yeah. in our movie story um and it uh, it's uh I'm I'm grateful to say like the reviews are very positive, uh, but for me I've, I've been consuming this movie 24/7. We we did Sundance, then we did South by Southwest Festival, and a bunch of smaller festivals. So I've been with a lot of audiences, and the the most wonderful review uh, after all the movies I've been in, I've just never had people have this uh, sort of warm, teary f sense of gratitude yeah. and say, like, thank you for that loving hug of a movie. It's certainly different in a, in a great way than anything else that's available at the Multiplex now. So uh, definitely worthy of your time. Feel good for a couple hours in this in, in a world that can feel pretty confusing and dark at times. Amen. Um, thanks for coming by, Nick. It's always a pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for being gentle with me. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>